On this episode of the Unsettled Hunter podcast, I speak with Paul McCartney, who is a PhD student in the Faculty of Environmental Studies at York University. Paul's research focuses on how knowledge is co-produced through the management and study of marine wildlife and ecology in Greenland. I go a little in-depth with questions about methodology and knowledge translation, but thankfully Paul is also a committed hunter and has some very interesting discussions about wildlife management, ecology, and social understandings of hunting and conservation. Please enjoy the episode. Would you like to uh, introduce yourself? And explain kind of the backgrounder to what you just explained. Why you go yeah, to that these was, various I places like to, on these timelines. I like to have things like you give the teaser and you back yeah. up. I'm reading this <laughs> book right now by this guy named John McPhee, and uh, I guess one thing he's known for is like very artfully jumping around in timelines in his book. And I'm reading his book and I'm like, man, this guy moves around a lot. And then I looked him up and realized like that's something he's known for, uh. and it's very difficult to do. But he he does it amazingly. He's so well. Um, Anyways, so I was trying to channel John McPhee there. Uh, hey, how much intro do you want here? However much you want to give. Okay, so however much you want to share about yourself. You know, your yeah. your your time to. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess what? Yeah. So right now, I'm also I also came across working on a workshop right now to on how to properly introduce yourself and answer the question, "What do you do?" Because <laughs> you know when I, they say that you can meet like however many thousands of people a year. And you can guarantee that most of the people will ask you the question, so what do you do? And you can guarantee that most people's answers to that are boring and right. uninteresting and do not stimulate conversation. So <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to work on like, how do you answer that? But um, the, the, the most exciting way, part for me to introduce myself, like, the, the way that I like to think about what I get to do um, is, that I, is that I get to work at the kind of interface or work where like natural science social science and local communities all come together on ecological and human dimensions around wildlife um and which is a perhaps boring way to say that i get to like really interact with both science and people around around wildlife issues um and that's kind of where my like work is but also where my like personal interests all are as well so i, I don't really it, i'm lucky that i don't have to separate my work and personal interests and and passions at all um but yeah so so i'm right now in the, in the finishing coming towards the home stretch of a phd around um and i work in the arctic and around with with inuit communities and with um biologists and ecologists and i bring the i'm a social scientist so i bring the, that part of things to those projects um and we work on everything from population monitoring to um biology and food web food web stuff to fisheries management um and so, so we get to, we kind of we, we look at um arctic wild marine wildlife so i'm working on stuff related to seals and polar bears and fish and sharks um and a couple places in nunavut um and so yeah my background is in social science and but but i'm but but personally i spend a lot of time hunting and fishing and and, and some stuff in the outdoors so I got into my PhD and wanted to get into wildlife stuff, um, but did not really have a real strong academic science background. <laughs> so I found a way to be, I, I, I kind of found a place where, and for a whole, other, whole, for a whole bunch of, of legal and ethical and academic and reasons, um, anything related to wildlife is both social and natural science now. 
and, and involves local communities and stuff. But that was, that was where I kind of found my place. Was I said, well, I, I've got background in social science. Um, I'm interested and I have like a, an awareness of what's going on, you know, with, with regards to people's interactions with wildlife. Um, and managed to get involved in uh, for my PhD work with um, a number of biologists and, and natural scientists on, on work in the Arctic. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I work, get to work in the, what we were talking about before in Kugaruk, which is a Nunavut community. And there I'm working on um, a project on ring seals and polar bears and a, whole, a number of different aspects of those species. And then in Pangertung, which is on Baffin Island in Cumberland Sound, I'm working on a project that's really focused mainly on uh, Greenland halibut, which everyone in Pangnotung will call turbot. Okay. Um, so, so when you when you go up, you'll hear everyone you'll hear some people saying Greenland halibut and some people saying turbot. It's same fish. Tur- depending on who you, depending on okay. who you ask. Yeah. So when I'm there. <laughs> okay. So don't say that. Right. So when I'm right when I'm <laughs> there, it's turbot. It's turbot all day long. Um, and so there, I'm working on some stuff with turbot, and that has some more kind of management implications to that kind of work. So I get to, yeah, I get to like my daily life when I get to work is like, is to sit around and talk to hunters and fishers about the hunting and fishing, about the species that they interact with. And then I get to be involved with um, monitoring data and management stuff, you know, peripherally, I get to be involved in that stuff. But, um, but then, but then, yeah, so, but I'm, but I'm from Ontario. So uh, I grew up in Ontario um, and got into like, got into hunt, fish my whole life, but got into hunting a bit later in life uh, and then got into work in the Arctic because that was where the, some of the opportunities were to do, to, to bring together the fields that I was interested in and experience with. Um, so I've done a lot of that work from, from Ontario, but um, yeah. Cool. So might go a little bit, uh, inside yeah it was all over the place here um partly because i mean i've done this tried my best at least over the last three years once i had a sense of where i wanted to go um with my academic work and i mean i'm a political scientist but have always wanted to work outside Uh, (laughs) yeah and and i mean main folk or always the underlying focus was environmental stuff Mm -hmm. like just as a more as a personal interest or a general interest but always found it difficult um to figure out how i could work my way in so it's quite interesting to hear about like your yeah how you kind of navigated it and that and so that's why i want to go a little bit more inside on like your specific research project just because i think it could provide uh it's it's probably an interesting example for perhaps other people mm-hmm. who hopefully maybe are listening to this at mm-hmm. some point, um, how they can kind of bridge those two worlds in the disciplinary sense, not obviously in the existential sense, yeah, yeah, because yeah. as you already pointed out, that's they're inseparable, but that doesn't, you know, it's mm-hmm. difficult for social scientists, or at least I found maybe it is changing now and hopefully it is. But um, so um, a little bit like, so with the research that you're doing in the, in the two, like the two areas in, mm-hmm. in, in the North, like what is like what what is the knowledge that you're taking or getting for your own project, and how did and then how or how did you position yourself in those two communities and with the people you're working with, so you could do your own project that was yeah. that met a social science requirement. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll I'll go in reverse order there. So sorry, the how I position myself. Yeah, so 
Um, like the, the quick kind of Cole's notes is that, yeah, my undergraduate and master's degrees were both in social science, but I had moved throughout that time, throughout that six years into, into looking at environmental issues. And I ended up looking at in my master's, my master's research, um, resource use and extraction okay. on indigenous communities to, in, in, in a case study in particular in Ontario. And partway through that, that degree, I realized I did, yeah, I did not have enough of a, uh, both academic and kind of on the ground understanding of what was going on, you know, environmentally, ecologically. So I ended up going to Fleming College in Lindsay, Ontario to do a, a program in ecosystem management, which got me a lot of the, if I can't say enough about that program, enough good things about that program and that school. Um, and it got me a lot of the background and, and hands-on understanding of, of what's going on on the ground. So that was what kind of supplemented my social science stuff for me. Okay. Yeah. So that was the, that was the kind of the academic, uh, you know, supplement to what I, what I had been doing. Um, but I had been in, but I was involved in, in, you know, in hunting and fishing and stuff on my own. So that, that was where I kind of like, I looked at everything and said, well, what is like, how does this all come together? My, my personal interests and some of these ways that I'm interacting with both ecology, the ecological sciences and social sciences. And yeah, from there, the story of what I got to now is, uh, is fairly anticlimactic. I emailed, emailed who is now my supervisor, uh, who's a, who's a faculty, a professor at York university. And I said, he was, he's the, I saw that he was doing some work on polar bears in the North. And I, I said, you know, I'm interested in getting into involved in wildlife stuff in particular and really understanding wildlife. I mean, I, I've, I'm fascinated by wildlife science. And especially the man because because of my involvement in hunting, the way that, that comes together for management and conservation purposes. My always my outlook is on like conservation. You know, with capital right. C conservation, like this thing called conservation, and and all the things that come together in that. So anyway, I said to him, I see you're doing some neat work in the north. I have no idea what I have to offer you, but here's my background, <laughs> and it 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 just kind of so happened that at that time, he was beginning. Uh, a three or four year project on um, seal monitoring in in the Gulf of Boothia, which is where Kugaruk is located. And it was working with uh, an existing polar bear monitoring project as well. And he said, well, he said, as you're probably familiar or aware of anything that goes on in the north now around wildlife, it needs to involve local communities and it needs to involve local perspectives. And he said, but we don't know how to do that. We're not social scientists. So he said, if you're interested in doing that part of things, I mean, obviously I jumped at it because here was this, here was this project that was looking at, that was doing biological monitoring on ring, on ringed and bearded seals in particular to con that now was contributing to an understanding of what polar bears eat and how healthy polar bears are. So you had to there and immediately connected to much bigger conservation concerns at the time. Um, but had this way, but I, I had basically a blank slate to, to work on, on how do we best engage the community there in, in what we're, in what to do with this. Um, so my, yeah, my work is, is really about that question. What is the best, what are, what are some ways to bring natural science work, you know, biology and things like that together and work with local communities on their perspectives on things and, and, and from a, in a, in a social science through social science methods. 
so my like the stuff that I write about is is about that. It's about like what do we do? How do we do it? Kind of what are our lessons learned about 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 this process? But the actual in you know in the community, what I get what I'm working on is our people's observations around uh, observations and experiences around seals and bears and changes in I mean it's everything changes in ice and changes in climate and changes in um, wildlife habits and, and movements and populations and um, health especially their body condition uh, of seals and bears uh, so I get to take all of this like look at all this information from that, that people have experienced and I'm mostly I'm working with local hunters and say well how did how does this how can we under get a bigger picture understanding of what's going on with seals and bears and through that climate climatic changes and things like that and it's so it's kind of neat in that way because it's you know people who are familiar with the like the, the traditional ecological knowledge stuff it's often you kind of pull out what you need to supplement or to add into what's going on and we've kind of we've been exploring a, a different model to that um where it's a we're looking at every aspect of the ecology and the, the, the habitat and the environment in this region and the species that are there and trying to get a really good understanding of what's going on um and and what people in town want to know what local hunters and managers and and you know people at the community level what they want to know about this stuff as well um so we can kind of answer multiple questions um in, in that place that that's that one town one community in particular but how we can kind of answer, identify what questions to ask, and then answer those questions from a whole bunch of different sources of knowledge and information. So, um, so that's kind of that's kind of how that came about then, uh, and and what what that information is looking at. And we've and we've found so I, so I've been able to go up there a handful of times now um, in the winter and and work with hunters and and uh, and really kind of get a sense of what what they're wondering about, what they are aware of about research purposes and, and priorities what their interests are in the work um and and kind of get a really neat understanding of, of the, the whole like, ecosystem up there so this is that answers the question <laughs> but it's, yeah we're academics we just pose questions and search for answers <laughs> yeah um so then then the coincidentally to perhaps ask an unfair question uh and maybe and it's slightly more uh pointed maybe at a methodological mm -hmm. uh approach to what is the in from your research like it like what's your preferred goal or outcome of the research and i mean I'm not, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean in a like necessarily a measurable sense or mm -hmm. where you can report to someone yeah. <laughs> and say, look what I've done. But if, because it's, I mean, in, in my, to me, it sounds kind of like a little bit of like a, like a mixed methodological yeah. approach yeah. Um, based on certainly informed um, by, uh, by how research has changed or is supposed mm -hmm. to be changing and mm -hmm. being conducted in the North, particularly the natural sciences, although I guess social scientists have mm -hmm. probably a really poor history as well. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's kind of where I'm like angling at. Like if you, I mean, it sounds like the research has, like the, the knowledge that's being produced has multiple uh, multiple avenues of, yeah, totally. of import. But if, like, yeah. if you were to say, um, say in a defense 
which I think <laughs> you're hoping is coming up soon. And someone were to ask you, well, like what 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 would you like to see if you if you had the biggest impact? Like yeah. where would it be? Would it be um, that like the the kind of community relations side? Um, would it be um, so just having, yeah, having researchers understand and like this is how you would if you're going to be doing research in the north or broader mm-hmm. uh, indigenous communities this is it you have to take this very seriously before yeah. you even start or is there like is it a policy kind of level change in terms of funding where funding has to be like mm-hmm. uh, granting bodies have to write this into their like application process again if you're working with an indigenous community or an in or or inuit group Mm -hmm. you have to do this prior to or you have to guarantee so and that was that's why i say it's an unfair question because it's totally no it's yeah no and i think all of those things um like personally at a personal level my like what i what i find fascinating about the work i got to i've been able to do is the point that making the point that um that anything related to wildlife, and particularly right now because of the major global pressures that we're seeing around, you know, environmental change and wildlife change and stuff, you have you know massive population declines and extinctions, but also, but also huge conservation successes over the past century. And I think we're in this really neat, well, in some cases tragic spot in history, but also this kind of fascinating spot where um, where these things are coming together. So for me personally, I'm I'm really interested in, in in seeing this contribute to the conversation that is around that is set, that says that or that makes the point that anything related to wildlife right now really has to look at and it is and is stronger when look when it looks at both the, the ecology the ecological aspects of wild, of wildlife and the human dimensions of it um, and that is kind of a term that's kind of come about right? the human dimensions of wildlife but but I, but I still don't you know, looking at the human dimensions of it or, or whatever. And they, so there's social needs of wildlife and the ecological needs of it in, in separate. And that's not to say that they are always looked at separately, but historically that's how it's been. I think for me personally, like it, where, where my, bring my interest into this and what I would like to see this contribute to is, is the conversation around the real, the major need to really think of those two things that, you know, the ecological needs and the human dimensions of wildlife as integrated. Um, that people people interact with wildlife, and there's all sorts of complex social and political and historical and economic factors that impact the way people interact with wildlife and the perceptions around people's interactions with wildlife, wider social perceptions of it, um, and you know straight up survival around how people interact with wildlife. But then there's also these major pressing conservation needs around wildlife, and those have to go together. Those have to be looked at together. Um, so the stuff that I, I mean, I'm looking at, like I see my, that my work, like my six years I've been doing, doing this is like a drop in the bucket in this conversation. You know, we're saying here's one way that we've tried to consider looking at wildlife and in, in, in a way that hopefully accounts for and, or, and, and looks at both, you know, all of the, all the aspects of it, science and monitoring and conservation and management and human needs but this isn't the only way. It's not even necessarily the best way. It's one way. Because again, my long-term idea of this is that it makes the point that it's worth exploring ways and advancing the conversation that um, 
that human and that, that the human needs and human and social dimensions of wildlife and the ecological dimensions of wildlife need to be considered together in this really kind of integrated way. Um, yeah, so that that's my kind of on a, on a more immediate level. Um, there are, you know, in each of the case studies I worked on, there are more immediate goals, whether those are uh, advancing management interests at the community community level, like in Pangerton, um There's a commercial to give a real quick recap there. There's a commercial fishery for a community-based commercial fishery for turbot, um, and there are the 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 under hunters and trappers organization, which is the organization at the community level that would be that would represent local fishers at a at a management level so that that organization in pangerton is working to have some make some management changes to the way the fishery is is um, administered but they need they need uh scientific data on the fish to advance those goals so on a more immediate level in pangerton for example um that's where the information contributes to and, I, and i'm and i'm thrilled and fascinated by that because on an everyday level, what kind of gets me out of bed is some is, is great, innovative, and interesting advancements on conservation and management around wildlife. There's also a group of local fishers working with who are trying to better understand the underwater ecosystem so they can catch fish, that, which is their main livelihood for a lot of the year. And hopefully this work will help contribute to that and help them catch more fish. In a, in, a, in a fishery that is working to be sustainable and, and, and long term, so I'm, that's interesting to me. So then I get, but then but then there's just questions around fish ecology there that the, 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 we don't know a whole lot about turbot, about Greenland halibut, and about Greenland sharks, which are also in that ecosystem. Um, like scientifically, worldwide, there are a lot of unanswered questions. So I'm fascinated by the fact that we get to answer some of those questions. So on a more immediate level, we got some of that, those things going right, on, yeah. all of which interest me and, and excite me, you know, but, but uh, as I say, I also hope that, you know, if I were, if I were to live for 200 years, <laughs> I would hope that like I that in 200 years, I could, I could be like, oh great. This conversation that I hoped I, I was involved in 200 years ago has moved forward a bit, you know, around that, that, you know, that people, that you just, you can't have conservation in a, in a, in a effective conservation in a in a when there are when there's when there are a whole, whole bunch of social and political and economic issues that are not dealt with whether that's poverty whether that's a legacy of colonialism and the perceptions around management that 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 that, that, that brings whatever those are whatever those issues are they, they need to be addressed and they need to be part of the conversation around conservation and vice versa so um yeah so that's that's kind of the what what gets me fired up about the stuff I get to do. Um, cool. Yeah. So now there's a whole bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. A whole bunch of really interesting topics. But let I'll just wrap up the kind of your story. Yeah. <laughs> then take you off the hot seat in that sense. Um, two questions. Uh, I guess now this has turned into an interview, well, I should, so to speak. But, I should oh. add, though, just real quick. That, but that's interesting because that's how you and I ended up meeting as well, is how this conversation comes to the, the more... I don't want to steal, and that's I'm not yeah, stealing ahead. your thought here. Go but, ahead, no, no. But it's interesting. That's how we ended up getting in contact, right? Was how these conversations from the kind of these higher level academic conversations, how they're brought into the social and more accessible public sphere, right? Yeah. And in how we were talking about this earlier, like how you have these conversations in a way that that get at all these other issues around social perceptions of 
of wildlife management and conservation and research and how kind of people on the everyday level get into that conversation and stuff. And then, so yeah, I think it's interesting then that like that's how you kind of, some of the more interesting connections that you end up making are, are through that part of the conversation. Yeah. You know, anyway. That was, that, that, that's where the issue that I was hoping we could, like the kind of the translation and stuff, because then I can perhaps do more than just nod my head and ask you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, although that's fine too, because you're clearly willing to uh, answer my questions. <laughs> um, so then, yeah, just to kind of wrap up the, like the bio, the biographical aspect mm-hmm. um, and then wrap that up. And then with maybe perhaps a, a leading question into the more issues type stuff. Yeah. Um, so you said six years, that's how long you've been <laughs> working on this particular yeah. project being your PhD, but also the research that will be the basis of the PhD. Yep. Then you said if you could live to 200 years. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think we're quite at that uh, quite. life extension yeah. technology. And you, you know, prob- prob- probably, yeah, uh, probably get over 100 yeah. uh, with it in this generation. But the question then would be, because I think in our in our contact, you said you're hoping to defend. Not the, in 200 let, years. Let, yeah, yeah, but, but <laughs> soon. Yeah. So what is your, like, what, what do you hope to do after that yeah in term and again hope <laughs> um and, and you just to lead it more like is it the academic aspect are you looking yeah. for an academic career or is there something else and then the perhaps i don't maybe this would shape that too uh, in some ways um it's more of like a tidbit question like what is the most and i mean it's totally unfair especially because of I like six, six 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 no, like uh, years questions. of work like if there was one thing you could think of that you've discovery is a horrible word, but it's just <laughs> because, <laughs> because so many yeah, connotations. Yeah, we'll, we'll one pull that also, out of the colonial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, so yeah. Um, now that I've talked that out out loud, learned. Yeah. In your research, like one kind of thing that you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I used wow. You said you. you yeah. <laughs> like what? Let's go. If there was one wow moment, yeah. when Some form of knowledge, maybe even just an interaction, hell, even a story. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That was like. No, I like those questions. I asked someone a while back, like, so what do you want to do when you finish your master's? And they said, I don't know. And I said, that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. <laughs> like, if you're not fired up by asking these questions and finding out the answers to these and have some idea of, well, maybe this is my own, yeah, maybe this is my own baggage because <laughs> of my research, but have some idea of, like, what you're going to do with it after. But maybe that's my own thing because I came to it from that way, really. Um, no, it, it certainly is necessary. But, yeah. Because I didn't really know, like, that's why it took me a while mm-hmm. um, to, A, finish the PhD, and B, then decide what to do after, because I've always kind of been a yeah a floater and to see where the world takes me. But, I mean, if, if definitely if there is, if someone has a, yeah I, again, passion is used a lot, particularly on hunting podcasts. I don't know why. It, it's yeah, a, like, it's, it's a catch-all. That's for, a great, and, I think that's a great conversation to come back to yeah um but i mean i guess it's something as you were you're saying it's hard to cut you off but if like i would definitely to just support that like mm-hmm. your your approach like if you want something like you have to yeah it it isn't i mean it sounds trite but it isn't going to necessarily just come no exactly yeah, yeah no i when i started that i um had a great conversation with my supervisor i, my, I have my co-supervisors really one that um there's a lot of the, the, the natural science stuff and one that really guides me on the social science stuff. And I had an interesting conversation with both of them and where I said, like, I need to come out of this degree being in, like, having a, 
claim to having a seat at the table in the stuff that I'm passionate about, which is really con like conservation decision making. Um, and I said, right now, you know, when I'm coming in this with with a you know, a, not much real experience in the, in, in sciences and in the, in the natural sciences, um, no one is going to listen to me. So I need to come out of this with a with a pretty good like being able to be literate in that end of things. And so they've been super supportive of that um, and have really driven the boat in that direction a little bit. Um, but it's, it's kind of already happened actually. So I moved in May this, this year, I moved to Nain, which is in Northern, the northernmost community on the coast of Labrador in uh, Nunat Siavu, which is a Inuit um, region in Labrador that settled that, that, that settled a land claim in 2005 after many, many years of, of work. Uh, and shortly after I moved there, I ended up where I started working with the Nunat Siavu government, uh, which has, so the, in the land claim, the, okay, so there's a couple of pieces of background here, the, the layout, that's all right. Like in the land claim, uh, there is in the, in the Labrador Inuit land claim, which is what established Nunat Siavu as, as an Inuit region. Um, there is a, there is a, in, Chapter six, there's a section in there that says that, that the Nunasiaba government can suggest and make proposals on marine protection measures in the ocean mm. environment. So the, the, the land claim area goes out, extends to 12 miles out from the coast, which is, um, so there's a large, there's something like 48,000 square kilometers worth of ocean area involved that, that's included in the land claim. It's called the zone in, in the land claim. Do you know if that's unique? Zone. To, yeah, I, I was yeah, I was trying to remember that. Regions. So the the NLCA, the Nunavut Land Claim Agreement, does go out. Um, I believe the same. Yeah, I should I should have had a fact checking device here, but I believe it's the same. Okay. And I and the the story the, the reason for that is because if I back well, up, I'll add an addendum. If yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll back up and say that the or I'll add a the, link. <laughs> the management part to my work in Pegnertung is um, there's a there's a management line that divides the inshore and offshore turbot fishing area now that management line is way up in the north of cumberland sound not far from pangerton and one of the goal that what what the pangerton hto wants is for that management line to be moved out to the to, to the nunavut land claim agreement boundary oh, okay that they're saying that that it should only be inuit fishers that have access within within the land claim boundary right so Yes, as far as I know, I, I and again, I'm, I'm, I should double check this, but the that the, the Nunavut land claim um, agreement marine boundary is out to the 12 mile okay. limit. Um, so in any case, it's, it's it's not it's not unique in the sense that um, that there are no marine areas included in Nunavut land claims, but it's unique in the sense that um, that it's a self government land claim. So the so Nunat Seattle is a self government land, Inuit land claim. So the the, the Nunat Seattle government is an Inuit government that has jurisdiction over right. a whole number of, of social and economic and political issues and they have joint uh, co management with of wildlife with the yeah. province. Which then just now that we're clarifying, yeah. which Nunavut is different. Right. Yes. Nunavut is a territorial, a territorial government, government which governs all the people. Yeah. And it's not I mean it's there's a obviously a High Inuit it's proportion. It's supposed to be high. Rep rep is, there's yeah. a representative proportion, but the Nunavut land claim is a, a separate, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, institution or yeah. organization that 
they obviously have to work together or yeah. they don't depending on and they have they have a, they have a the, the Nunavut Wildlife Management Board um, is in, is is involved in wildlife management but it, yeah it's set up a little bit differently um, because it's and because it's a this is a in in Labrador it's a um, it's a land claim that's at a, a province like in the province it's like part of the yeah. Labrador province of Labrador so okay so jumping back over to that coast then so um, the Nunatsiavut government is able to uh, recommend marine protection measures for the, the zone which is the the area of oceans included in the land claim okay now right now the canadian government internationally rather internationally there's a big push to protect marine well to increase the air the area of the the, the, the amount of earth that is protected right and then both terrestrial and marine and so there's a these things called the aishi targets that come out of the um uh, meeting in, in aishi uh, it's about on the convention on biological diversity and countries and i'm and i'm blanking on the date i think this was 2011 um but again i should check this uh and internationally countries committed to protecting certain percentages of their terrestrial and marine territory by certain dates in so the 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 marine portion that country that and everyone you know was supposed to commit to by you know meet milestones so in canada the canadian government the government of canada committed to protecting five percent of its ocean areas by 2017 now <laughs> and then 10 percent of its ocean areas by 2020 so in three years we are supposed to have protected 10 uh, percent of our ocean areas currently we're at less than one percent so now the, the lancaster sound national marine conservation area was just announced and, and settled so that's going to be a huge area it's over forty thousand square kilometers of ocean protection but all this to say that there's a huge push right now and a lot of political will to protect ocean environments by 2020. And that involves Environment Canada and the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, or Fisheries and Oceans Canada, as it's called now. Um, those are the two federal departments that are involved in establishing marine protection zone areas. And there's a few different mechanisms, but there's two different mechanisms to, to create marine protection. But those are Fisheries and Oceans and Environment Canada. Okay, so shortly after I moved to Nain, then the Nassiava government is really pushing now to create protected areas in the ocean. And, and they've kind of moved it a step further and, and said rather than just create these kind of chunks of ocean protection areas, they want, they're, they're going to, um, the, the, the goal is to create a marine plan, a management and conservation plan for the entire zone, the entire coast, which is the land claim area. Within that, so 48 plus thousand square kilometers of, of ocean, um, within that marine plan, that, that kind of you know, management plan, management conservation plan, there will be different areas of the ocean that are, that are protected, that are set up as protected areas. Um, so I've been working on that. That's so shortly after I moved to Nain, I ended up, I started working with the Nazi government on that plan. Um, and it's in, it was really, really from the ground up when I started when I started on it with them. Um, and there had well, there had been a lot of work. I should give credit. There had been a lot of work done to get to the point where I started. But mm -hmm. when I started, we had we were just getting to the point of how do we do this? How do we talk to? Because it really needed to be from the community level. You know, getting what what are what are community priorities around marine use planning, 
protection, management, all of these things, how do we identify those priorities? How do we put them into a, a plan? How do we create a marine plan? And then also, how do we establish protected areas that will contribute to the government of Canada's goals? So, I, yeah, that's what I hope to do with it. Exactly okay. what I am doing, basically. Okay. So this is now taking what I've got to do over the last six years that has really looked at, really looked at focus on species and community level stuff. And now I'm looking, I'm getting, I'm getting to do the same kind of thing at a huge landscape level, at a territorial level, involving five Inuit communities on the coast, which is that there are five in the, in the um, Labrador Inuit land claim area. And this massive chunk of ocean that involves, you know, two main federal government departments and the, the province of Newfoundland and Labrador will be involved as well. And figuring out how do we work on conservation and, and all of the things that are involved in that and really, but making sure that this plan represents Inuit interests in that area. Um, and all of the things that come with that. So that whole story to say that I'm actually getting to do what I want, what I want to do with it um, right now uh, and, and really looking at, at a, we will be looking at specific, you know, particular species, what those, what needs to be done with particular species in the area, but also cultural sites that need, that need protection and, and need to be addressed and people's use and commercial fisheries and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, and how, again, how those human priorities and dimensions of that conservation work come to kind of come together in a very unique, but, but compatible way with conservation priorities internationally, really, but, but particularly the federal priorities. So, so that was the, so your work on that is like, that's employment yeah. work, yeah. not obviously connected to and moving from. Your yeah, no, no, it's work, employment but... stuff. It was, uh, um, it's tough to not jump into that full, yeah. full steam. I'll tell you, because it's like, it's, <laughs> it, it's like, it's so interesting and it's so exciting. Um, and it's like, do they have a timeline now? Now, <laughs> now, <Yesterday>. yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, by 2020. Right. Okay. I mean, for sure. Yeah, it's got a. It's uh, the idea is that it that it that the government of Canada gets to add a whole bunch of area to their, um, in their marine or ocean protection by 2020 to contribute to those. They're called marine conservation targets or MCTs. You'll hear a lot of. So um, yeah, 2020 is the goal. Um, and now there have been a couple people in the United States have a government who started this process, and worked very hard to get here and and there's a lot of support from, and I should, I should also point out, there's a lot of support from both Environment Canada and Fisheries and Oceans Canada on this, it, 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 on, on the United States government doing this and leading it. Um, so, I mean, this has all sorts of really amazing and really fascinating strides it's making and examples it's setting and, and things it's doing. It's really the first of its kind in the world in a lot of ways. So, yeah, so that's kind of a neat kind of employment thing that's come along that's allowed me to to take what I've done and extend it to a bigger, bigger scale and something that like, it was exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, I was, I was lucky. I was really lucky. The timing worked <laughs> out actually. Um, so the wow moment, that was a definitely a wow moment yeah. for me getting to be like, okay, so it was something. So I did come out of this with what I wanted to. <laughs> and there are some people out there that are interested in conservation work. Um, but I had a, yeah, I had, I mean, you know, right. You have all these wow moments all the time that, um, like I was definitely getting to understand a lot more about the, the seal hunt 
Okay. And Northern Wildlife Use was was an ongoing wow moment. And I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with all the guy. Over the last six years, a lot of stuff have, has kind of come down the pipe with with regards to seal hunting and and, and worldwide and how it's impacted you know, Inuit in Canada especially. So, um, I mean, it's, I don't want that to be too much of a like a cliche, but that, yeah. that was definitely a wow moment, like a wow or a wow experience for me was getting to, to really understand that a lot better. Um, and, and not contribute to it. I, I don't, I didn't contribute to that conversation really in any way, but yeah, it, but... it, it certainly put, was put into context and in some really meaningful ways for me, um, both academically and personally. Um, um, so some of those especially were, were interesting um and, and but again yeah i think i think the, the biggest ones were and when you ate seal was that yeah. a wow moment well <laughs> it was for me because i was wow this is really good it was yeah it's amazing <laughs> i know i know it's so good um it's it's fantastic and it's like to the point where where it's like you i mean i'm interested in eating everything yeah i'm always interested in eating new stuff that's that runs around in the woods and the, the ocean uh, I, I didn't get to, i hadn't eaten a whole lot of ocean stuff though before that I mean, I eaten fish. Yeah. But even then, I mean, not I hadn't caught a lot of saltwater fish ever in my life. I don't think I had ever caught a saltwater fish. No, definitely not. The only thing that I've done is freshwater. So, um, what was I saying? Where was I going with that? Oh yeah, yeah. So I've had like some interesting conversations with people in the north about, um, and now in the south about like, just the um the the culture around like trying new foods and being in being curious about trying new foods and where all that kind of stuff and i mean i like yeah i'll try anything that has legs or fins or wings yeah. um so eating getting to eat seal and whale and polar bear for the first time was oh, you're uh, eating polar bear. yeah yeah so those were those were great experiences um but i mean like i like i'm interested in like i am as interested in trying i was as interested in trying polar bear as i would be in trying crickets which i have or or porcupine which i've which is now on my high on my list to try okay. <laughs> because a lot of people in not would eat porcupine huh. and no one here eats it and i always wondered why no one here eats it because so i was always curious like is there a reason does this stuff taste like stringy shoe leather i know apparently it's fantastic huh. so then it makes me wonder why don't people eat it here but anyway it's yeah. a totally side conversation but yeah, yeah <laughs> eating seal great um yeah very interesting um yeah so those are some of the like some, certainly some of the wow moments, yeah. Um, but but I like I, yeah I I as I said like yeah, from the beginning like I my personal interests and my you know, like academic interests and all this stuff are not are not distinct for me in my head like they're they're both exactly the same. So um, I like getting to sit around and talk to hunters and fishers all day long about stuff you know, you get into conversations about, about all sorts of things, um, related to those, to those things. And to, so I had a lot of really interesting experiences talking to people on a more personal level about that stuff, about what people perceptions around this stuff and experiences with hunting and fishing and, you know, histories with it and, and all that, all that kind of stuff too. And, and then getting to see that it actually can come together into, into things that, that, that hopefully contribute, you know, to bigger goals has, has been great. So in terms of a, let's kind of like a strategy, especially around like in terms of moving co- more towards like an issue mm-hmm. uh, thing, perhaps then 
you know, we haven't said much that would get us in trouble, so maybe we can try to do that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not piss everyone off, but some people, it's not that bad. Um, some people need to be a little yeah. bit stirred. Um, yeah, when, you brought, when you mentioned the thing about this word passion used in hunting all the time, it, oh man, you could have a two-hour conversation. Yeah. I read an article the other day that was about saying, like, you know, that work should be about purpose, not passion. Right? <laughs> like that alone is provocative. But, yeah. but the, I, I think, and I think you hit on something there that's like, a bigger conversation around how people think about this stuff and the reluctance to think about and talk about hunting in a way that people might, that might be more risky for people because it brings in other aspects of their lives that, that are perhaps more tangible that they have to then figure out a little more. Yeah. If you talk about it in terms of passion, well, no one can argue that. Yeah. <laughs> no one be pissed off that you're passionate about something, but, it, but anyway, it, yeah. again, another, another conversation, but, um, Again, I'm very interested by this stuff around like around that, around like people's perceptions around things. Anyway, um, and where I was kind of going with it, because the one thing that I've again learned, uh, found out, read, mm-hmm. listened to, and just assumed, inferred, um, is the interesting aspects with hunting and kind of the animals that are okay to hunt mm-hmm. and the animals oh, yeah. that aren't and like that species oh my God. ranking yeah. and which one gets, and when you mentioned it, like the seal hunting and, and seals. And I mean, that has been like one of the trips we did in April was to the Magdalene islands. And those are the other oh, nice. yeah. two other of the podcasts. I'm like, you know, now I'm into that. I have to start promoting other mm-hmm. people to listen to those. And I mean, the Magdalene islands was central point in the seventies for the, for the anti mm-hmm. seal mm-hmm. hunt, even though it's pretty much, uh, there, there's still there. It's an attempt to conserve uh, a seal hunt aspect, but I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's not a, it's not the seal hunting cent- like central locale yeah. that it was. I mean, it's more in terms of commercial now. It's more Newfoundland, and that bunch of reasons. I mean, when we were there, there was no sea ice whatsoever, mm-hmm. so the seals aren't there. Um, but where, where was I going with that? Now I got lost. Oh, but yeah. then, the, but the, that's kind of, in terms of the, like the species rankings and that, like, in ter- and then similarly with polar bears. So basically mm-hmm. like the two animals that I've been, I mean, I have not encountered a polar bear, thankfully, or seen, yeah. I've only been north once for yeah. a week and that was in the winter and they were, There's a they were changing moment. They were far out on yeah. the ice at that point, which I was probably fine with. Um, but it's interesting because I, I, the way that I think about it too is like these two animals are, I would think, would even elicit passions. There we go. Um, with, <laughs> with, like with southern hunters yeah. who may have an, like I, I have no idea on this because mm-hmm, I've never really mm-hmm. asked anyone. But and like that was one of the one of the aspects, and I think seal hunting is kind of the thing that is gonna is my real current interest. Yeah. Um, and that 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 was all the way to ask a question or to steer the discussion towards toward like towards like translating this knowledge and especially conservation knowledge mm-hmm. with and with and or say if it's like we're going to focus on a specific species which can also be which is also good but it can also be problematic especially in a broad sense to i mm-hmm. think what you were describing and how you actually have conservation mm-hmm. um like have you ever have you ever encountered that either personally or through your work mm-hmm. or through your research, like this pushback or people who are like, yeah, I'm fine with someone shooting a deer, but oh, I, yeah. but I like would never eat a seal or I think oh, that's, yeah. uh, I think that's horrible. And so like in yeah. terms of like those translation quite like, how do you, kn- 
like how would you negotiate that or have you how have you negotiated that because like i mean those those are that's an interesting tension that i've had as well because i mean to be uh to be honest like i'm not a hunter per se Mm -hmm. i've only got my license last year Mm -hmm. and hoping to go out and probably utterly fail this year but that's (laughs) fine i like would rather go out and fail being outdoors for a couple days rather than sit indoors and not do anything but so like the weird thing for me is that like I learned or my first hunting experience was hunting seals in a mm-hmm. <laughs> which is That's not which is not a you know a typical experience no. so so I mean I have no like my I'm like I have no like species ranking I'm yeah. totally flat yeah on that other than uh like management or conservation yeah. Issues, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I'm only learning about as well but it so like those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in is like uh, those issues around conservation and then when the kind of the the I don't know the rhetoric or the popular mm-hmm. ideal of a particular species comes mm-hmm. into play and can either steer the conversation or steer the policy in a particularly poor yeah. direction especially when it's with seals so I guess the to turn it over to you I mean again and maybe again in your research is there had you found a way or, or are you working through a way to kind of translate that or overcome that or Similarly, maybe just even at this point, a, a, a story. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> about encountering yeah, that. I definitely encounter all the time this idea that, like, well, that one's okay to, to why well, on a bigger level, no one thinks that hooking a fish in the face, pulling the hook out, and throwing it back in the water is bad. Yeah. But, like, no one would ever do that with a, no one would ever do that with a, with a mammal. Fish don't scream. So it's like, oh, there are, so yeah, it, hap- it happens on every scale. Um, you know, I mean, I'm going to piss everyone off here if I go on a rail against catch and release fishing. But eh, it drives me, it's like, we were talking about Stephen Ronella earlier, earlier and there's a, there's a passage in one of his books where he says, like let's, like, let's call this what it is. You are poking a hole in a fish's face, exhausting it to the point of near death, and then putting it back. And like, there are estimates of catch and release mortality that are as high as 80%. The fish really? put back, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think it happens all the time. I mean, I mean, I've I talked to a lot of people in the south who are weirded out by bear hunting. Yeah, and 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 then I and then you know, I certainly polar bear and seal, and I think that the the reasons that I've come across, I, I've okay, so I'll also say I've encountered this from both directions where people expect that you're like in the north. I've had people expect that being from the South that, that I'm going to be, that I'm going to have an aversion to seal hunting. And I've had people say like, are you guys against the seal hunt? Are you doing seal research because you're against seal hunting? You know, it doesn't register. It, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't help that my name is Paul McCartney. And Paul, <laughs> Paul McCartney is, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, one of the biggest loudmouths, uneducated loudmouths when it comes to seal hunting. It, it, Wait, so who's coming into town? Yeah, well, that's the, it's a bit of a good it's a good icebreaker yeah. when I get into town. And they're like, "Wait, what did you say your name was?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, not that guy, yeah. not that guy." Um, but yeah, so I've encountered it from both directions, where where the there's a perception that certain animals are not okay to kill and eat, and on the other side, a perception that you are going to automatically assume that certain animals are not okay to kill and eat. Um, and then some, like I, I've, I'm always interested, like I said, I'm always interested in people's the reasons for people's perceptions around things, whether it's a, what it is, if it's a personal belief thing, if it's a misconception around the science, whatever. And I've, I've encountered them all. Um, 
You know, a lot of people, like I say, a lot of people in Ontario are weirded out when you say you hunt bear. People in Maine, no one wants to hunt bear, black bear there. There's black bears everywhere. No one wants to eat them. I think there's like two families that eat, oh, yeah. that eat black bears. So people have told me like, hey, they're all yours, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's not that it's, in some cases, I think it's like a, like almost like a taboo. But yeah, no, I mean, bears certainly. Um, you tell people in Ontario that, that there's a ongoing polar bear hunt and they definitely are weirded out. And I think the difference there, I think that one is different than, than black bears. Um, yeah. The, the few, like if I were to think of the specific conversations I've had with people, the, the weird people get weirded out by black bears. The people that I've talked to about it for a couple of reasons, you know, sometimes they have this idea that black bears are just eating garbage all the time. And so they're no good. Yeah. Or Taste-wise. right. Yeah. Yeah. Or that. I mean, I've I've heard people say, "Well, aren't black aren't aren't all bears in trouble? Aren't all bears endangered everywhere?" You know, there are one hundred and five thousand black bears in Ontario. <laughs> no, is the answer. There is then there's a so there's a there's a health concern people have had. There's a conservation concern. Then people are sometimes just a bit weirded out because they just like they just think like bears are this kind of you know majestic spiritual forest king kind of thing and so there's that kind of less concrete reason for it um but then when you bring up polar bears it's a whole different thing then it's a conservation concern well they're endangered so how can people hunt them you know and then there's then it's a whole it's a it's a big deep complex conversation around how conservation works and how management works at a political or policy level um and i heard it from seals too when i mentioned things about the seal hunt um, I mean, I say the seal hunt. I mean, it, it, you know, seal hunting yeah. across the north. And people say, well, aren't, I've had people say, like, aren't seals endangered? And it's like, I don't know where people get it from. Like, I'm not sure where that comes from. I'm always, like, where, I'm always interested to ask people, like, why do you think that? And no one really has ever been able to tell me why. They say, well, because there's protests about it. Yeah. I mean, there's seals everywhere. Right now, seals are not endangered at all. I mean, and that's been a really interesting part of the work. I get. I had a great, really interesting conversation with my supervisor about this recently, about the work in Kugarak around seals, because, I mean, currently, politically, seals are a very safe species. They're not endangered. They're not listed at all under endangered species legislation in Canada. The U.S. has gone down that road a bit for more for political reasons than, yeah. than conservation reasons. So I won't even touch that one. But in Canada, they're not listed. There's no internationally at the IUCN they're not listed as endangered at all um so they're yeah I mean right now they're they're a very uncontentious species and that has allowed us to look for me to to really kind of understand or try to understand um the social conversations around seals and seal hunting in a way that is that you kind of remove that one variable that it which is there's major conservation concerns about them. You can remove that one and go, well, here we have this species that's immensely important culturally and on a food level to people all across the North and the world. It has become important on this oddly symbolic level to people who have no interaction with seals in the South, the Paul McCartney's and the, the you know, um, and then it's got this, but then they are a species that has had, that's been in the, in the news and the media. So they have this, they kind of occupy this social political space that is informed by 
various perceptions and misperceptions and, 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 and management issues that people both think they have a, an understanding of it. They think they know why they believe they think one way they think, well, I'm, I'm okay with Inuit seal hunting, but I'm not okay with commercial seal hunting in, in Newfoundland, for example. Yeah. I don't, have you seen the film angry Inuk yet? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So that film does a phenomenal job of explaining the connections between these. And I mean, and, and that's exactly like what I'm fascinated in, right? That the, the, the ecological part of things the economic side of things social and cultural part of things are not disconnected and that film does a phenomenal job of explaining how that is a um kind of incompatible position to take i'm okay with one person hunting seals but not with yeah the seal hunt you know the fur industry kind of thing um so i have had those conversations in the north as well you know people say like are you are you against the seal hunt (laughs) no not at all not at all. I have seal mitts and uh, I think it tastes delicious. <laughs> but no one has, in my experience, I, in, my, in my at least interpretation of the conversation, I haven't got the sense that people doubt it when I say no. When I say, no, I'm not against the seal hunt. I haven't got the sense that people are like, don't, don't believe that answer. Right. But I have had the question asked. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there are all sorts of... Um, reasons that people have these kind of taboos around certain animals and i think uh, a lot of people that i've spoken with don't really understand why they have those taboos or if they do think they understand why they're not necessarily based around if they if they think that they're based around facts often those facts are not correct they're alternative facts <laughs> and if they're not i can't I, I wish i hadn't even used that term but um and if they're not based around facts it's this kind of you know personal emotional reaction that people don't that they don't necessarily understand um i i've i mean i had a conversation two days ago around uh beavers and cooking and eating beaver meat and like very few people are can understand like even are aware <laughs> that you can eat that that species but it's one of the best foods i've ever had hmm. Yeah. So, but it's like, again, it's just like these perceptions around it that are not quite understood. Um, you know, so yeah, I think there's all sorts of, all sorts of those kind of animal hierarchies around some of which are rooted in spiritual things. Some of which are rooted in emotional things. Some of which have, are probably informed by historical issues that people don't even realize are informing their, their perceptions around it. Um, and some of which are, informed by completely wrong you know ecological and and economic issues so um yeah it's great conversations though it brings up interesting conversations with people for sure um but yeah i think it happens all the time i mean and like how do you get people excited for like turbot like say yeah or like not and then that's not suggestive again because here's yeah here's where the problem too is like sometimes you use an example and then people take that as well turbots in danger i have no yeah. idea i was just using that it's not yeah it's not a sexy species no exactly or, or not, not at all you know or it's not or it's not charismatic no um and then i mean the, and then the funny part too is with and i mean i even did it here as the two examples like with polar bear and seal like mm-hmm. the one that and it's like well but caribou <laughs> oh yeah like what about yeah like people are worried about and then again people are it, with people horribly on every <laughs> demographic or sample of what yeah. that means um but but that and that's kind of where i was going at too like how 
in maybe have you um, pondered on that or is that just or is that just like a struggle through your research around like like, like, tra- like say translating something that isn't say either it's a species that is offset because there's these mm, other ones that mm-hmm. um, attr- get more attraction or have yeah. a history of it because of just the like the their their photogenic creatures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or similarly um, where you're having discussions and they get sidelined because we, well we need to actually be talking about again like say caribou as opposed to seals because seals are not yeah by any metric endangered whatsoever yeah. and caribou are I mean, By depending most. the the herds <laughs> where, where the herds are yeah. too, um, yeah. And then then the changes there for them are even probably more. Um, like now I'm going, yeah, running no, into I, biology, so no. I mean, I haven't there, like but. I haven't really focused on that stuff that much because um, probably strictly because the projects that I've been involved in, the species I've been working on, have already been set. Those have already been right. established projects that I've come into, um, and the stuff that we've been working on and the people we've been working on them with, those species do have significance for those people, whether it's an economic issue, whether it's a, you know, people in Kugarak aren't concerned about seal numbers. Um, yeah, they, they use the fur and they make things out of the fur and they sell the fur and they eat the seals all the time. And I've noticed some changes in seal health over time and, and patterns, but um, they aren't necessarily, there's no big concerns about them at a local level. Um, but, I've come into these projects and they've already been kind of set up. So the importance and the significance of the species has already been established. Right. And I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I'm doesn't take anything to convince me of it. So I haven't really had those issues where I've had to like kind of convince anyone of it because they, um, the reason they exist is because people are convinced of it already, I guess. Um, I, I'm, I'm like in personal conversations. Yeah. I, then I, then I'm, then I'm fascinated by it. Um, but not so much in a official way. I, I haven't had to really get go down that road as much. I mean, again, I'm always interested by in, in, and this is a conversation that exists very. It was well established in the conservation field. Is you know, yeah, caribou are a great poster child for for conservation, <laughs> but you know, the black-footed ferret, yeah, not as much. So, um, so yeah, I'm interested in that. But but I find that the I find that people who haven't thought about that at all they kind of just it's like yeah okay that makes sense other species are important too but but they don't necessarily know a lot about about it in general anyway so um do you think your research or the methodologies that you are using do you think they can be used as a way to perhaps change that broader conversation methodologies mm-hmm. not because mm-hmm. i mean even if i have problems with my methodology so i can't have a straight conversation about it yeah. uh, <laughs> but it, because that, i mean because like that the, the ranking of species i would think is actually a, like a, a problem mm-hmm. like a social problem yeah. for conservation because yeah, yeah. especially especially in a like a political economic sense where conservation funds or research funds oh, yeah. are limited and then social funds are limited because i mean with the seal hunt as was demonstrated with angry Anook, and then having yeah. after me and had uh, i've had that or learned this in other conversations and i saw it this year end of march start of april uh animal rights groups just plaster yeah. their websites and their social media with with whatever against the yeah. seal hunt and it and it's a, it's a fundraising drive. yes absolutely and that's all that it is oh, it's a money making um thing, yeah. and so and then i mean just 
happenstance, like because of the various other connections I have in life. Like there was a photographer, he's a professional photographer, made his uh, made his money and his point in skateboarding, but he does a whole bunch of mm. other things. He just posted like a, a PETA thing about mm. the seal hunted mm-hmm. cannabis. Like the guy lives in California. Yeah. I've never seen him advocate anything other, but it was just random. And I mean, I'm not trying, that's not yeah. a personal criticism. It was just more, it's more the, like the network effect yeah. of how, how, all, what, why is this here now? This is, has nothing. And then you, like, you shouldn't read comments, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suge- I use them as like suggestive yeah. of the possibility of opinions and interactions mm. rather than as, information yeah. or like hard data but mm-hmm. um so i mean i wonder like, is there is there a way to because with the more like, i don't know holistic again is a word that mm-hmm. it's, it's easy term to describe like mm-hmm. a, an approach that well, i think like you one could probably categorize your work like is there do you see a role for your work in that like perhaps changing that social conversation or is it or is it more a different or in to be straight mm-hmm. like is it more to the point like actually no you're wrong <laughs> i think like, yeah I, I guess sorry the the conversation style because i mean yeah. i think that's because that's another thing that comes up a lot uh with especially in hunting podcasts about convincing and i mean mm-hmm. they're oh, yeah. basically they're having a political discussion they're strategizing about political communication in yeah sense. so uh, like um like is in your work um do you think the methodological approach that you take could have a way to change the conversation or is the or does the conversation kind of just have to be more blunt like yeah this is actually what it is because because of all the because of the background stuff like when you're saying um hmm. with pang like they needed the the hgo yeah. needed the information so then they could mm-hmm. have an effect mm-hmm. and so like I, again i'm jumping all over it but yeah i don't know i never really thought about like the, the approach that i'm taking in that way i mean the, the approach that i use with mine really does the literature around it does talk a lot about the way that academic and non-academic communities of people, participants come together um, and work on these issues. But not as much, it doesn't really get into the uh, like kind of social, like the, like the social kind of psychology around conservation at all. Uh, I think, I think it could be, I think it's a way, I think it could be applied to that though. I mean, I'm not, that's not that's where I am right now. Uh, but I think that the, yeah, the methodology that I'm using, which, which really does examine the ways that academic and non-academic perspectives and, and participants work on this stuff or anything. And it's not a conservation specific methodology, but I'm applying it to that. I think it could be used in that way, probably in terms of um, setting priorities around conservation and things. But, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, this will be a provocative one. <laughs> you know, more participation is not better participation necessarily. It's not like like this idea that, you know, that we got to just ask people what they think. You know, no, not always. <laughs> Sometimes people are just incorrect. Yeah. Now they have maybe it's important to know what people think, but yeah, I don't think people. I don't think that increasing particip- participation in things in whatever social or economic or political processes is necessarily a way to better information and better knowledge. Um, because sometimes people just don't have that information. And I think that now having said that, the, 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 the kind of the approach that I'm, that I've taken really does look at, okay, but there are roles for people to play. So it's about what are those roles and what is the contribution that, the, that those roles have to the, the, the long-term goal? 
And it's not just simply because this person is drawing breath, they are an expert in everything. <laughs> yeah, that's a perhaps really condescending way to phrase that, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? That like getting people involved is valuable, but getting people involved in ways that, that they, that, that is useful, useful. is valuable, uh, is more valuable than just simply saying, well, look how many people we've got involved in this. Um, okay. Where was it going with all that? Um, kind of back to what you were saying that like, that, so yeah, I think, I think, in, but, but then, but then, you know, social psychology research shows that sometimes telling people they're wrong actually reinforces their incorrect opinions. And I mean, there has been research done on that, that when someone, when someone perceives a fact that they have, or that or has a, holds what they think is a fact that they perceive has come to them from someone, a member of their own you know, social community, whether that's a political, politically minded person or whether that's a hunter to hunter or whatever it is. If you, if somebody else that that person perceives as outside their group goes and says, well, actually, no, the sky is not green. That person tends to then further believe the wrong thing because they are more likely to cling to their kind of in-group mentality than they are to, to be corrected by facts. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's all that to say that like, I'm fascinated by the way that we can have these conversations and move some of these things forward. Um, but in my, yeah, telling, but just like straight up corrections on things is often, you guys gotta be the, the, the atmosphere has to be pretty right to get people to, to go, Oh, okay. I changed my mind on that. I genuinely changed my mind on that. And even then, changed minds is very different than changed behaviors right yeah changed habits so that's a tough one as well um i said so to someone the other day you know like that that we have all these processes around conservation that get people involved because because we live in a democracy and because one of the founding you know one of the key foundations of our conservation system in north america is that it is a it is a democratic process we have all these things where people have the right to give input public input on just conservation and wildlife management decisions. And some of those people have no business giving an opinion <laughs> on this stuff. Like I'm interested to know what their lived realities are and their, pers and their perspectives, but not their input into the decision-making process right? <laughs> because they just don't know. And like, that's not wrong. We, I, I, we should be able to say, we should be able to acknowledge that and, you know, and just, and, and, you know, Anyway, I'm going off in all sorts of directions yeah. here, but, but yeah. And I, I mean like the, the, the animal, the, the, the kind of favorite animal syndrome, I mean, this, this has come down in Ontario over the last couple of years around moose management, you know, and bear hunting. It's all about, it, it's, it's all come to that. The perceptions around people's favorite animals and what they do and what hunters are doing and not doing and the impacts of, of things like hunting and different and other policies on the, on the species have influenced people's opinions on the, on policies and on management decisions that are just not true. You know, they're based on things that aren't, that aren't accurate. And uh, yeah, I think there's some, I think there are some better ways we can get people involved in these conversations. Um, but like you say, it's just this kind of always trying to convince people of things is not the, that's not working. It just doesn't, evidence does not show that that's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the evidence is not there to support the current process. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where all that's going, but but it's stuff that I've been very fascinated with throughout 
you know, my time in, in like in, in this, in this field and like, you know, and how to have these conversations with people for sure. Yeah. Um, so 